Football is back and right now Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football with games being played nearly every day and with Bet365's Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live with Bet365's match live feature you can follow every moment through live graphics and text bet365 it's the world's favorite online sport betting company the app can be downloaded from google play and the apple app store over 18s only please gamble responsibly hundreds of thousands hold their breath on merseyside it's Xabi alonso for three three is safe and alonso follows it it's wonderful So another Merseyside derby draw that was far from pretty, but it has thrown up plenty of talking points. And on the plus side, I suppose Liverpool are a point closer to the Premier League title. Just means the champagne may be on ice a little bit longer. It's the Red Agenda on The Athletic, and on today's show we'll talk about the glorious Alison Becker, uh, the challenge that faces Takumi Minamino, and whether Liverpool can operate to their expected levels when one of the front three is missing. And maybe Dejan Lovren might get a mention from uh, from one of our lads, maybe James <laughs> Pierce or Simon Hughes. Don't mention his name just yet. Hello, chap. Simon, you OK? I'm all right, Steve. Thanks. And James, you've made it safely back from Goodison. <laughs> I did. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, you OK? Good, man. Um, right, 106 days without any action. So how did it feel to watch the Reds again? In fact, how was it just going to a stadium, James? <laughs> Do you know what? It just felt so strange. Um just everything about the, the time of year. Just, you know, what the, the feeling of what on earth am I doing driving to Goodison in late in late June, um, the fact there was absolutely no match day traffic whatsoever to to battle through. You know, I parked up on next to Stanley Park, where usually there'd be a row of probably 70, 80 coaches before a game, and of course it was all empty. There was, to be honest, there was a heavy police presence outside the ground, but less than a handful of fans. I think that that was the other thing that struck me. You know, we had all of that goings on and debate for weeks and weeks on end about neutral grounds and all the things that were said by certain police officers about whether fans could be trusted to stay away and that that was we we said at the time it was ludicrous and 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 so it proved yesterday so yeah it was it was just very surreal and then when you see Liverpool walking out of a porter cabin in the park end car park (laughs) to play a Merseyside derby and the two teams coming out from completely different ends of the ground. And yeah, and I think probably what made it even more surreal was the only noise from the Gladys Street during the entire uh, evening was um, there was there was a fella playing a saxophone who, um, you know, he, he, he probably probably put more energy into that game than anyone else because he, he just, he was absolutely relentless from start to finish. We had Lovell Terrace apart. We had Zed Cars, Yellow Submarine. He, um... Yeah, he he went he he got through some put puff that guy, but um, yeah, sadly sadly there wasn't there wasn't much to write home about on the field. Yeah, it sounds like it was great goings on at Goodison Park yesterday. So we missed a live concert. Well, yeah, I mean, I I, I watched the game at home because there's only twenty five journalists permitted inside the ground. Um, I, I've got to be honest, I'm not. 
I'm not the best watcher of football on a TV. I find I find it a lot more stressful. I don't know why. I think when you're in the ground, you do feel like you know. It, it's a, well, obviously if you're working, you're working. But if you go to a match and you're a fan, it's 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 more of a. You obviously get wound up, but I, I don't think you get quite as wound up in, as you do in front of the TV for some reason. I can understand why, you know, people you know turn to to social media and start sounding off very quickly before the games even really you know got into its flow. Um, I think I think it's probably just because you know when you're in the ground you feel like you're playing a part, and when when you're at home there's a distance to it. It's a very very strange experience, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I know I said last week I sort of expected Liverpool to to, to come out of Everton and and start uh, this period, you know, on the front foot. But um, as sort of the, the game got closer, I sort of reminded myself of just how how sort of Liverpool have been in these situations when they haven't had games before. You know, when they've had breaks and they do take a bit of time to get into the rhythm. Um, but uh, and that, that proved to be the case, really, in the end. I mean, I, I thought Liverpool, as everybody said, really kept the ball pretty well. There were some encouraging individual performances within the framework of a, a pretty flat team performance. But I was saying to James last night on the, on the WhatsApp group, I, I just felt that, you know, if one of the two forwards, Firmino or Mane, turn up, I think Liverpool win the game. I think it's as simple as that. I think both of them were some way short of the match fitness and uh, hopefully you know that'll increase over the next couple of weeks but um yeah it, it, was, it was it was it was a derby I've seen many times before as well because you could sense the players still felt there was something riding on the game Everton thought played very well defensively and thought Ancel- Ancelotti did the sort of job that he's done a few times against Liverpool now playing a, a 4-4-2 and Going very narrow, narrow in the in the wide areas and making a compact in the sense of the pitch. I thought Everton played very well, but sure, it was a fair result. I thought. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a derby you've seen before. A draw, no surprise. There's been plenty of draws at Goodison. Seven of the last eight league derbies at Goodison ended in uh, in stalemates. There, James. So it, you know, it wasn't a shock. No, no. In, in that respect, it, it was in keeping, wasn't it, with with recent years? I think it was that three nil nil draws in Goodison derbies in a in a row. Um, and yeah, I think you know, it was it was classic Carlo Ancelotti, wasn't it? Really, in many ways, in in terms of how well drilled and how well set up defensively Everton were, his game plan nearly worked to perfection because you know they they dealt with everything Liverpool threw at them and and really should have won the game in the in the last 10, 15 minutes. I think you know I think Klopp touched upon it afterwards. Testament to what an unbelievably gifted goalkeeper Alison Becker is the fact that mm. he can have nothing to do for so so long and then and then produce an absolutely crucial save and then obviously the bit of luck with Tom Davis putting the rebound against the post so um yeah I think as Simon said Liverpool had a lot of the ball you know it was it was just frustrating at times because you, you you were just crying out for a little bit more invention a little bit more incision in that final third but you know, I, th- I think you, you then have to take a step back and and say, well, do you know what? Considering Liverpool hadn't played any competitive football for what was it, 100 and, 102 days, I think it was. That degree of rust and just how disjointed the whole game was, I think, was probably to be expected. It, it wasn't the return that Liverpool fans, or perhaps even the players or the manager, had envisaged, Simon. I don't think it was at all. But as we've discussed, I, th- I think that the way some signs of encouragement I thought Fabinho had, had a good game he was sort of really dominant in the in the middle of the park and gave the sort of performance that he'd, he'd obviously gave last season and, and up until the point where he got injured this season I thought he, he was very assured 
in that position and and won a lot of possession. You know, just just look back to his former self. I thought that was a really good sign. Um, I thought Kaiser. You know, when when he took when when Klopp took him off, I wonder whether you regret that because he was the the sort of the midfield player who looked most likely to to do something. I thought he was very comfortable on the ball. I just, I just as as ever with Liverpool, if you get the forward line firing, got a chance against anyone. And unfortunately, you think for me for me, no touch wasn't quite quite there. You know, he, he wasn't quite as sharp to opportunities maybe to to go and hunt down the uh, the Everton. Uh, two centre halves who were, were quite willing to play the ball out from the back, and it was quite a surprise not to see Liverpool going and trying to squeeze the pressure on them because you know the, the two of them at the back for Everton, you wouldn't say they're the best on the ball, but uh, they, they, they managed to come through that the periods of, of pressure quite un, unscathed, really. So, uh, and Mane, Mane was sort of nowhere near where you'd expect him to be. Really, he was, he was, his touch was a bit erratic as well. So. You know, as we said, it's to be expected to some extent because it's still a Premier League football match. It's still a derby. There's still tension around the game. I mean, for you know, a lot of people saying, well, both on both sides, you know, particularly you know from the Everton side, you know, it didn't feel like a derby, which I'm sure you know it obviously didn't fit for people who would normally be inside the stadium. But for the players, you know, I thought, you know, you could tell it felt a bit like a derby as well. So when you've got you know those two. Um, those two characteristics, you know, behind uh, behind the game in the terms of, you know, it's a derby and it's a, you know, a game where the players haven't played for such a long period of time. You're going to have a, a fair degree of tension and possibly not the greatest game of football. Um, but as we've said, it, it's, it's a point closer to, to the title. I mean, I've been discussing this game for a while now, obviously for the last three months, and I, I just felt, you know, Liverpool have every confidence that they go there and get a point and... Um, in the context of what it means, I think it's 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 actually a good point. Yeah, fans are a huge miss, aren't they? It's it's obvious now, and obviously James been in the stadium, you, you know, so even even more so. But particularly for a, a derby game, and I was watching the interview with Dominic Calvert Lewin afterwards, and and he even as one of the the central players was saying, yeah, it does make a difference, it makes a, a big difference at the big moments of a game. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think when you think of Merseyside derbies, you think of of the noise, don't you? And you think of the, the, the passion and how that how that impacts the game. And I think that's why, you know, although although there were some, some meaty challenges that went in over the course of the game, I think in terms of tempo and intensity, it didn't, to me, it didn't really feel like a, a derby. And I think, you know, in some ways, I think, Everton probably would have been almost forced to come out and play a bit more earlier on in the game if it had been a packed Goodison and their their fans were were behind them. But um, it was yeah, it was it was just it was just strange and you know it was it has to be put in the context of people say well you know I still see comments online last night from fans saying oh you know it's not it's not proper football of course you know it's it's going to be impossible to replicate that because we know that. It's the full stadiums that make the Premier League so special and, and is why it's viewed by so many hundreds of millions of people all around the world. But, you know, this is the best that we can do at the at the moment. And um, it, it's certainly better to have, have this than, than, than nothing. Um, mm. So, you know, unfortunately, it's something we're going to have to get used to for the, for the next six or seven weeks. Right, let, let's go to Klopp's team selection at the start of all this then. So there was... Um... A couple of names in the starting eleven that maybe you wouldn't have expected. I don't know. There's a chance for uh, for Minamino to start the game and James Milner at, at left back as well. What, what were your initial thoughts on that side, Si? 
Well, obviously the Milner was enforced, and um, I think the only—I'm not too sure what the, the condition of Yasalarucci is like, but in a game of that sort of size and importance, he was always going to go with Milner. So there was no other option. I mean, the, the, you could tell Liverpool missed Andy Robertson um, from pretty much the, the you know the first couple of minutes really because. Uh, I suppose there is some mitigation for Sadio Mane who didn't have that that sort of thrust alongside him, giving him the angles to to make runs in fields and really hurt Everton. So uh, they, Liverpool really missed Andy Robertson, um, and you know they missed Salah too. I mean, I, I keep saying this, but Salah for me is is a world class player, and people you know sometimes seem to want to talk him down a little bit, but I, I think his game has improved dramatically over the last sort of 12, 18 months. You know, I think what he also offers, um, you know, is, is work back to the back to goal is is getting, you know, is getting as good as his sort of his, his, his ability to run beyond the defence. I think, you know, he, he holds the ball up really well now. You know, he's good in tight areas and uh, Liverpool really missed him. I mean, I thought Minamino showed some flashes of, of what he could do, but, you know, he's a very delicate player, isn't he? And I, I just wonder... You know, it reminds me a little bit of Vladimir Smita, you know, very technically gifted player and can affect games occasionally, but it has to be the right game. I mean, I think he's going to have to... There was, there was a couple of moments where he got easily brushed off the ball, I, I felt, and, you know, that, that can't really happen too often, particularly at Anfield. I mean, if that, that happens at Anfield in front of a full stadium, people are going to get on his back pretty quickly. So he's going to have to... Get used to the, you know, the, the physicality of the Premier League because you know Everton tried to impose the, the physique on Liverpool yesterday. I thought it was a pretty robust performance, but um, yeah, I mean, I was I was I was surprised not to see Wijnaldum in the team really because he, he he's the one you know who's reliable and he's a, you know sort of turns up in the big games, doesn't he? And um, maybe Klopp sort of felt that he's he's the sort of player who can come and affect the game from the bench as well. And Kate has been training very well, I believe. Um, you know, over the last couple of weeks, and he needs to get a run together. So, and he, he plays well. I thought Kater. You know, he, he does offer something different to the other midfielders. He, you know, he, he does try and do things. Uh, he, he sees the pitch a bit differently. So, you know, you're hoping between now and the end of the season, he, he gets a run of form and, and and goes into next season. You know, uh, flying really because you know he's you know signed for the club well two three years ago now, didn't he? And, and obviously spent one season in in, in uh, Leipzig. So. You know, I do feel he needs to sort of establish himself in the first team and and become, you know, become a key, you know, a very, very important player because otherwise I just can't see where he fits in really. I think he needs that run of games and hopefully a few more goals and assists and then, you know, we can stop talking about him. Will he, you know, there's that conversation, will he, won't he? Because it's become, I suppose, quite repetitive over the last, uh, last, last 12, 18 months. On the conversation surrounding the, the front three, it's almost impossible to replace Mo Salah, isn't it? You know, p- people say, well, go out and, and find a play you can throw in there. To, to Kumi Minamino, it's hard to put it on his shoulders to say that straight away he should be playing to that sort of level. It's evident he isn't the sort of player that's going to make the sort of runs in behind that, that Mo Salah does, James. But but longer term, is, is he a player that can play in that front three? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think you only have to, to look back at how impressive he was, you know, it feels like a lot longer that longer ago now than it actually is. But, uh, you know, those those group games in the Champions League back in the autumn against Liverpool, you know, he, he, he caused Klopp's team, you know, by far and away the best in the Premier League this season. An awful lot of problems in in that side. I think the, the one thing that struck me is, you know, when I saw him play 
for for Salzburg, he always seemed better in central areas rather than stuck out wide. And I, I thought there were some really promising signs for him yesterday. I think you've got to put it in the context of you know that was his first Premier League start. I think he'd only played seventy odd minutes of of league football for Liverpool before yesterday. Um, so you know he has to be cut some slack. You know, come into a you know a, a new a new country, new language, new city. I know he's he's worked really hard on his English during the lockdown and used the time wisely to to get himself you know more at home in in this city. Um, and I, I, I like him. I think I think he you know he's he's a very intelligent footballer. You can see that with his movement. There was some some lovely link up play with with Cater. You know he, he yeah as Simon said there were a couple of times when he got shrugged off the ball, but there were there were also a few times when when he won possession back with his with his counter pressing and and I think it was he's he certainly kick started the move that ended with Firmino dragging a shot wide not long before half time. So I, I personally I was surprised he got taken off because I thought he was. I thought he was just starting to to come alive, and you know, Klopp, I asked, Klopp did talk about it afterwards and said that um, he said you know it was more a case of wanting to use the five subs rule and and maximise the fact that that he could make more changes rather than you know, putting too much exertion on players physically because I think you could you could tell with the the team that Klopp picked that. He certainly had one eye as well on on midweek against Crystal Palace because I think he he just felt that after so long without a game to play back to back in quick succession was was asking an awful lot and I think that was why he didn't risk Salah or Robertson who we know have been been nursing knocks and, and why he used you know all five subs I think by about the the seventy odd minute mark after Matip joined Milner in in in, in being forced off through injuries so. Um, yeah, I, I still, I'm still pretty optimistic about Minamino. I just think um, he's got to be given time. You know, he's he was never going to be one of those players that just comes in and lights the place up. You know, of course he's no nowhere near at the moment in the class of the front three. The reality is very few players in world football are. But um, you know, he was. I, I think that was a smart piece of business bringing him in. And and as Klopp has said repeatedly, he was he was bought for the long term. And Klopp certainly sees him having a bigger part to play next season. And he, he could well be one of those players who benefits from this, you know, financial implications of the crisis. Because if Timo Werner had come in, you know, that, that probably would have knocked him down the pecking order and limited his game time. So, you know, he needs to to really grasp the opportunities that come his way in the coming weeks. So is he one of the answers, side? When one of the three is missing, there there mm. is a drop-off, isn't there? It's tough and it's understandable. But it's Takumi Minamino, as James has, has said there, he firmly believes that he can grow more and more into that. Is he ultimately one of the answers? I, I don't think he's a wide player. As I, I do agree with James on that. I think, you know, he, he's more of a number 10, really. So it's going to be interesting to see how his position does evolve. Because um, Klopp has a reputation, of course, for sort of bringing a player in a certain position and he becomes, you know... A player in another position, you know, you could you could sort of point to the front three in that. I think first season Mane plays on the right. When Salah came in, he played on the left. Salah he played in a few different positions for Roma. Klopp puts him on the right, and then obviously you can talk about Firmino, you know, who, who sort of weren't quite sure what, what sort of a player he was when he, when he signed for Liverpool. But Klopp's made him a number nine, so you know, I'm sure he's in safe hands with a manager who who, who understands what he wants and, and can identify changes that need to be made. As James said, he, 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 I thought he was outstanding at Anfield, you know, that night. 
when Spalsberg came and he, he was he was the standout player for them and in that night if I remember correctly I think he was like the top of a midfield diamond and um, really influenced the game so I, I suspect next season, you know, if Firmino can't play, he might play that sort of withdrawn nine position. Perhaps mm. it, Klopp's, Klopp's used him in, in that, you know, in, in the month after he signed for Liverpool, sort of just, you know, dropping off this sort of almost like a false nine role. It seems to suit him, you know, being able to bring not just one player into the game by looking across the pitch, but maybe having a couple of options, you know, both, you know, inside, uh, but, 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 sorry, both in front of him and behind. He, 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 you know, he, he seems to be able to rotate with the ball pretty well. So I suspect that's why, where he might end up. Or alternatively, you know, further back into maybe, you know, the midfield three at, at some point if Klopp feels that, you know, there's games where you don't need that lung power in midfield. I, I don't see him as a wide player really in, in, in this team because Klopp's teams are known for the pace out wide and he's not necessarily a really pacey player, but he's a technical player who 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 can bring other players into the game. So it'd be somewhere in the middle, you know, sort of through the middle attacking areas where I, I see his future. As I say, I, I like him a lot, but I just think he's, you know, physically probably going to have to come to terms with it a bit quicker because uh, I'm sure Klopp would be happy, but you just know what the crowd's like, you know, when yeah. <laughs> assuming crowds come back, you know, if, if, if he gets brushed off the ball, it, it becomes hard, I think, if, you, if you're not if you're not a particularly forceful figure in the Liverpool team. So maybe not having crowds there for the foreseeable future might be of advantage to him. To, but, you know, as he as he gets used to the Premier League and, and establishes himself as, as a, as a first-team player. And going back to Mo Salah and this derby, James, do you think he was surprised that he didn't get a chance to be involved at the end of it? Of course, Dejan Lovren brought, brought on towards the end of of the fixture, the cameras immediately panned in towards Mo Salah. I think even most of us watching at home were thinking he could make a massive difference here. In fact, I just texted someone at that point saying that. Um, what, what is his situation regarding his fitness and whether you actually thought he might have come on there? To be perfectly honest, I was surprised he was even named on the bench because he, you know, he, he has he has missed a number of sessions recently. He'd also obviously missed that the warm-up friendly against Blackburn. And you know, I, I just think when you've got someone of his calibre and you're in the position that Liverpool are in, it's just, it would be nonsensical to take any any risks with him. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't expect him to, to be involved. And to be honest, I, I think the, the moment I realised he, he probably wasn't, we weren't going to see Salah in any capacity was when Oxlade-Chamberlain came on for Minamino at the start of the second half because you thought, well, if Salah is fit, and and if he does want to make the change and he only wants to give Minamino 45 then you know really that was the setting for for Salah to make his entrance so um so no i think you know you wonder whether maybe the only scenario we would have seen Salah getting a run out would have been very late on if Klopp still had subs in the bank and Liverpool w- were actually chasing the game but i think i think in the grand scheme of things i think Klopp looked at it and of course his hands were forced to a degree with the changes of Obviously, Milner getting the hamstring problem, and and then Matip with with the toe injury. Um, but no, I think Klopp obviously felt it made a lot more sense to to hold Salah back for for Palace on Wednesday night when you know we should also see Andy Robertson back in a Liverpool shirt, and um, you know Liverpool would be a very different proposition with 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 those with those two back in the lineup. Yeah, they're, they're such a refined side. The starting eleven, you'd, you'd barely want to touch, would you, Si? But as soon as you take one or two little pieces out the jigsaw, it becomes a very different beast, the Liverpool side. Yeah, I mean, uh, 
I think it's also you, you can sort of see that as a, as a strength and a weakness, really, because you know the the, the team is so fine tuned, really, and you know I think Liverpool benefit from the sort of close relationships that exist on the pitch. I mean, Klopp's only really operating with you'd say sort of 15, 16 players who you would say if you put them in the in the team in the starting eleven any any given weekend, you know that you're going to be okay you know it's, it's it is a smaller squad liverpool and um you know people are sort of being frustrated this season with with Divock Origi, who's not really um capitalized on you know the good feeling towards him um after, after what he did last season um and i've said it before but you know he is he's going to go down forever i suppose as, as a cult hero he scored a goal in a european final and uh, you know, you, you know, no one's ever going to say a bad, have a bad word to say about you, particularly if you then also back that up with goals against Everton. But I, d- I do feel that that the, the need to find some sort of solution to those those moments when the, you know the one of the, one or sometimes two of the front three aren't around. You know, it's difficult though because the the standard at the front front three is so high. I mean, how do, how do you? How do you incorporate a new player into a team which you might not necessarily be changing very much? Now, I know that that's what they were going to try and do with Timo Werner, um, and, and that didn't that deal didn't work out for a variety of reasons. Um, I, I think the point that I'm making is it, I don't think it's quite so easy to replace those players just because they are, you know, sort of world, the world-class players, aren't they? And I think that, you know, the, 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 the former world-class forward line, so... Yeah, it, I think Liverpool, it might take some time for Liverpool to get one of those players, you know, to, to come in and um, to, to put pressure on them because they're just so good together. So, providing you keep those players fit, then Liverpool are on to a winner, aren't they? But as soon as one or two of them, you know, drop a little bit or even even when they don't perform to, to, the, to the standards, you, also, you usually feel like you've got a chance with them. But yesterday was one of the rare occasions where I just felt Liverpool aren't going to score here. So yeah, it's 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 something that I do think the club needs to look at really because um, sooner or later, you know, it might it might catch up with them. Zinchenko scored the winner two years ago. He's up against Dudek. Will he hand Liverpool the European Cup? Yeah! Yes! European champions. Jersey Dudek with the penalty save. This is the Red Agenda. It's sponsored by uh, Harry's and, of course, uh, the Red Agenda podcast brought to you by The Athletic Weekly. Uh, Harry's, founded by Jeff and Andy, uh, two guys who are sick and tired of overpriced razors and they wanted to uh, bring their own business to the fore, setting up uh, a quality uh, razor factory. So now by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Amazing quality blades and they're now almost half the price of the leading five blade brands Uh, harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close comfortable shave as a listener you can start shaving with harry's today by claiming your trial set for three pound 95 support the podcast uh, get your set delivered to you including the razor handle five blade cartridge foaming shave gel and travel blade cover go to harry's.com forward slash the red agenda right now that's harry's.com forward slash the red agenda Okay, one of the uh, the first messages we got after full time on the Red Agenda inbox was someone who was posing a question about Dehan Lovren. It was Wayne who says, uh, Lovren, got to be upgraded. Please discuss. He got this off his chest 
virtually within seconds of the whistle blowing at the end of the derby, James. What was it also on your chest? <laughs> um, I mean, do you know what? I've always had a, I've always tried to defend Dayan Lovren on the basis he is nowhere near as bad as a lot of Liverpool fans seem to seem to think he is. And I've al- I've always felt that he is one of those players who, for whatever reason. You know he'll do four good things and one bad thing, and people only ever talk about the the bad thing. Um, you know you the, you don't play in a Champions League final and a World Cup final like he has if you're an absolute mug. But in saying that, we also know that he is he is rash and impulsive, um, and we did see at Goodison on Sunday when he came on that it does sometimes spread panic when he is like that, when he's trying to win balls that he has really got no right to even try and try to win. Um, and, it, you know, I think there was that chance when, you know, Richarlison was thwarted by Allison. I think Lovren was, was on his backside at the time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, see, I, don't, I don't go along with this idea that he's, he should be banished and and this summer and the Liverpool have to move on from him because I think the, the reality is he's Liverpool's fourth choice centre-back now you, you tell me who, who's got a better fourth choice centre-back in, in the top six or seven in the Premier League than Lovren I'm not I'm not sure there is one you know if if he was in Liverpool's top two centre-backs and was a regular starter would I be concerned yes I think before COVID-19, I think he was pretty much nailed on to leave this summer. Um, I think now it's probably up in the air because it depends what kind of offers are forthcoming. And for both him and the club, it may well be that if there's not a suitable offer on the table, that um, it makes more sense for all parties to sit tight for another 12 months. But um, yeah, you know, he doesn't do himself any favours at times, Lovren. Um, But... He's also nowhere near as bad as some people try to try to make mm. out. Yeah, d- divisive figure. I'm on the side. I actually quite like him. I, I love his videos on Facebook. He's done some great work on Southport Beach, hasn't he, Sign getting, getting the beach cleaned up. Um, yeah. why, why is he so divisive? Well, he, he is an interesting character. I mean, his, his backstory is a fascinating one. You know, if you look into how he grew up and how he was affected by, you know, the war in civil war in Yugoslavia and everything else incredible story and I think that's bound to have an effect on anyone's psyche you know he he comes across to me quite defensive you know he doesn't particularly react well to criticism I think sometimes he, he you know he does tend to uh, put the shutters up a little bit um, and you know he is capable of, of, of very good performances I mean I remember the game against Manchester City at Anfield this season, which Liverpool won 3-1, and he was fantastic that day. But one of the best performances I, I thought of any Liverpool player because I, I was down in the in the centenary, or sorry, the Kenny Dalglish stands that day, right, sort of in line with the 18-yard box, and City were trying to play on him, no doubt about that, because he seems to struggle with those little slid through balls, which Aguero is so good at making, you know, the passes that he's good at making the passes, he's good at getting up onto the end of them as well, and. His concentration levels were outstanding that day. Thought he had great performance, but he's also capable of of the ridiculous mistakes, you know, which 
I, I, you know, when he came on last night, I, my mind drifted back to the to the derby a few years ago when he <laughs> he, he careered into uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin. He was like a bus with no brakes, just totally didn't. Calvin Lewin just needed the touch and went down, and Everton got the penalty and got the equaliser at Anfield, if you remember it. And I was just he got he, people sort of defended him a bit that day because because Calvert Lewin went down easily. But I thought he's been done by essentially a 19, 20 year old striker there who's known who knows exactly what you know the defender's going to do. So that I can understand the frustration around him as as again I don't want it to sound like you know I'm agreeing with everything that James says, but I, I sort of feel the same way with him. I can't get two wounds up with him because. He's not, you know, he's not the first choice centre half anymore. The Liverpool got better players than him. It just comes down to, I think, it will come down eventually to, you know, his age and wage and stuff like that. Liverpool were keen to get rid of him last summer. Um, whether they'll get the same sort of fee this summer, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. But yeah, he, he's one who, who, you know, I think he also needs game. You know, he needs sort of to get a, a run of games sometimes. You know, throwing him on. In, in games like that last night, you know, I, I thought it's not always the best idea. I know Liverpool didn't have many options really with the injuries that they had. But equally, throwing him in as, as Klopp did against Watford, you could sense that performance was going to come from him. Mean, he needs to get a bit of momentum to, to perform to the high standard, which he can reach. But um, yeah, he, 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 he is capable of, of some erratic uh, decisions. It leaves some fans frustrated. It's it's interesting if you look at our inbox today, James. Sixty percent of the questions are about Dayan Lovren, and as you say, he's only the fourth choice centre back, but he is still playing in a Merseyside derby. Yeah, but you know, because of circumstances, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, the I was I was surprised actually that Joel Matip started the game because I you know I, I still firmly believe that. That the Gomez and Van Dijk is Liverpool's best centre-back pairing, but but clearly Klopp had seen something from from Matip in in on the training field in recent weeks because that's where he bases so many of his decisions. And then of course, you know, once Gomez came on at, at left back after Milner went off, then you know it, it did mean that that Lovren was going to be next in line if um, if anything happened to to, to Matip or, or Van Dijk. So yeah, I mean, I I, I just think. It, it's it's actually pretty low down the list of priorities. I think when you look at the Liverpool squad, as I said, you know he's a he's the fourth choice centre back. He's he's vastly experienced. I think if 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 he goes this summer, then you know then of course it wouldn't be a, a massive setback. Liverpool would probably need, I think. To, to bring in a replacement because um, I'm not sure I'm not sure that they're one of the younger players is quite yet ready to step up. I think the hope is that in in a, certainly in a couple of years, we'll, you know, we'll see someone like Kajana Hoover, who's a you know a really really exciting talent um, who can play fullback or centre back. I think I think he's got a big future. Of course, Seth Van der Berg, you know, I think don't think he really lit the place up last season after arriving, but you know, Klopp will hope for. For, for better from him over the next 12 months. So there's young players coming through there and whether, mm. you know, whether Lovren goes this summer or not, I just, I struggle to kind of get too enthusiastic about it either way, because I just think, I think people do go over the top with Lovren. I think you know, people always remember, obviously, his implosion at Wembley when he got tormented by by Harry Kane and you know for whatever reason that seems to stick in people's memories a lot more than the fact that he was absolutely brilliant in in the Champions League final against Real Madrid but you know of course 
through no fault of his own, that that Champions League final was remembered for the uh, the injury to Salah and and Loris Carius's meltdown. So. Um, yeah, Lovren is. I've got some sympathy for him. He doesn't help himself at times, but do you know what? It's um, in the grand scheme of things, Liverpool are twenty-three points clear at the top of the Premier League, and he's he's a valued member of that squad. There's bigger things to talk about. We'll leave him alone now. Just, just a quick one on the injuries picked up in in the game, Sam. So James Milner and Joel Matip. There was obviously a concern, I think, with the um, the restart of football as a whole, that players mm. might be more at risk of injury. There's obviously two key players there that you, you don't know how long they might be sidelined now. Yeah, well, I mean, Milner was the most concerning one because, you know, hamstring, and it, when your hamstring goes, it's, it's, it's usually a couple of weeks minimum. Um, depends how... Whether there's any tear or, or whether it's just a twinge, um, I would I would imagine you know that the team went onto the pitch yesterday and were told you know if you do feel anything you know don't don't sort of don't don't play on because you know th- these sort of situations can happen when you haven't played a competitive match for such a long time and um, Matip you know he, he's he struggled with injury at Liverpool I mean he, he had a obviously great season last uh, last season when Liverpool won the Champions League but he, he has struggled with injuries by and large throughout his time at the club and um, I, just, I do think that counts against him because you know you, you want your two centre-halves there as much as possible um, that, that, that's a bit of the mad thing really about Liverpool when you think about it you know Virgil van Dijk ever present the other three have had injury problems fitness problems you know sort of some with Lovren form problems um, or reputational problems I guess probably the better way to put it but um, so yeah I mean the heavily reliant on Virgil van Dijk I mean it's just reminded again you know if he was to get injured it it would be pretty disastrous for Liverpool really so yeah I I do wonder whether it be an area of the pitch that the club will be looking to improve on I mean I know I know Jürgen um, has spoken a lot about like sort of wanting to, to bring young players through, but again, uh, sort of echoing what James said, I'm not quite sure whether the the, the production line at centre half is, is quite at the level that you'd need to, for Liverpool to you know have a really successful team. Um, Keanu Hoover is is, is 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 looks to me a very very good player. Pro- probably trying to decide whether he's a right back or centre half at the moment, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you've seen a lot of games in the Premier League the last couple of days and um, players picking up little injuries. Um, hopefully hopefully that'll be the end, you know, that there won't be too many more because that, that, that just dilutes the quality of the game as well, I think, when players are going off regularly. Obviously in the ebb and flow of the game because there's, there's enough stoppages already with the drinks, breaks and everything else. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. 
Right, this is the Red Agenda. And to celebrate the return of the Premier League, we're offering 40% off a subscription with The Athletic for a limited time only. So if you go to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod, uh, you can sign up for less than £3 a month. And at The Athletic, uh, we care about your club. Got dedicated journalists for different teams. So sign up now and enjoy unrivaled coverage from the likes of Simon and James and Insight uh, at all 20 Premier League sides as the season reaches its belated conclusion. Before we get to the Red Agenda inbox, let's uh, talk on uh, a couple of articles that the lads have written. We'll start with the Stephen Gerrard interview, an exclusive um, that you've done there, James. You sat down with the former Reds captain, you talked titles and statues. Uh, And I think what was clear from your interview, his love is as unbounding as ever, as strong as ever, that tie with the football club. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think I think the most probably telling part was um, was when he said uh, you know he was eulogising about the modern Liverpool and, and what it's become under Jurgen Klopp both on and off the pitch. And he said uh, you know he said when I look at it, I just wish I was only thirty and not forty because I'd absolutely love to be a part of it. And um, you can understand why because you know that that Stephen Gerrard is a man who. You know, for me, he's the most complete footballer I've I've ever seen pull on a Liverpool shirt, and and he carried that fight single-handedly for for so many years. Um, you know, and that that responsibility on his shoulders, and he had to play alongside some some pretty average players at times as well during a career absolutely dedicated to his hometown club and the loyalty he showed to to stay when he could have won more trophies and. And, and boosted his bank balance to a greater degree elsewhere. Um, but, but yeah, and I think the, the other thing that struck me about it was, you know, I said to him, you know, when you see Jordan Henderson lift that trophy, will there be, almost be a sense of, you know, that should have been me, you know, the, the one that got away for him. Of course, the one, ma- one major accolade he wasn't able, ever able to win. Um, but he said, no, he said, you know, that's, that's just not me. I'm not, he said, of course, I've got my own personal regrets. For my career, he said, I know, you know, I'll never be able to completely get away from what happened against Chelsea in 2014. Um, but he, he said, you know, he, and he was, and I, you, you could tell with Stephen Gerrard, he, you know, he is very genuine. He, he speaks from the heart. And he said, when Liverpool get that job done, um, he said, I'll be the, the proudest man on the planet because he said, he, you know, I know what it will mean to every single Liverpool fan around the world that that, that 30 year wait is finally over. Yeah, it means as much to him as as anyone else. And it's interesting, that piece about Jordan Henderson. Si, I'm, I'm sure you've read the article. He, he said he never had any doubts about Jordan Henderson and his path at Liverpool Football Club. Different perspective, obviously, when you're inside the dressing room and Stephen knowing him as he did throughout his growth. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it'd be interesting to, to sort of go back, if you could go take a time portal to 2000 and... What year was it? You're out of 2011 when... Henson came in and I've been writing about him the, the last couple of weeks actually you, you look at the pictures there over the day he signs and he, he does look like a boy you know he is is sk- quite skinny arms and you know I remember interviewing him and he, he didn't uh, you know he, he was very polite very sort of well-mannered um, and you sort of wanted him to do well but you just wondered whether 
he, you know, he had, uh, first of all, the, the the force of personality and then obviously the ability because he he'd only played a, a relatively low number of games for Sunderland and, um, you know, that they're not a club that was, you know, competing for the honours that Liverpool wanted to compete for. So there was, a, there was a lot of distance for him to travel from the point of arrival to where he is now, you know, because uh, Liverpool... In many ways, you know, his the, the club's frustrations and his frustrations just go hand in hand over the last ten years. I think in in another world, um, you know, Jordan Henderson could have won everything there is to win. As it is, he's sort of reaping the rewards um, of his perseverance later on in his career. So it, it, it's a fascinating story in many ways because he. Not many footballers achieve their dreams um, sort of later on in their careers. Now it seems like sort of you know it's a young a younger man's game, and uh, most players are sort of winding down a little bit by the age of 29, 30. But I know Jordan celebrates his 30th birthday. Um, I think what what Stephen would have liked about him most really was was his appetite for the game. I think players, you know, particularly Stephen Gerrard and. Uh, you know Jamie Carragher. They, they can identify with players who, who love the game and are desperate to do better. And I remember at the time, you know, I was, I was obviously reporting on Liverpool, and all the players just desperate for him to do well. It's a few question marks, of course. I mean, Jordan mentioned the the story of um, Luis Luis Suarez when he, he sort of started waving his hands in a training session, and you know showed a bit of disdain towards one of the passes that he made. So he's had to overcome a lot to get where he is, and I, th- I think. Uh, you know, if anyone deserves to to be where he is now, it's him. Um, because you know, football is not just the, the 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 straight path that I think some people think it is. Um, and and of course, Stephen Gerrard knows that better than anyone. We should give a shout out to Liverpool Football College and LLS. So they helped uh, arrange that interview between James and Stephen Gerrard. They provide academic qualifications for young people who are really keen to work in the sports industry. And I know Stephen's um, exceptionally keen on helping within his own city, isn't he, James? Yeah, and I think that was that was something he was very keen to to talk about. Um, you know, his passion for for grassroots football because uh, you know, as he as he said himself, he was a young boy with with dreams growing up on that that estate in Highton. Um, and he was, you know, one of the one of the fortunate ones who, who made it through the system. Um, but not everyone uh, is able to to go that same path. So um, yeah, I've, I've actually known the, the the guys who who run the Liverpool Football College, um, Dave Rowe and Dave McDermott for for about ten years actually since they since they first launched it. And um, I know Stephen's been very supportive behind the scenes with their work. You know, giving. A lot of kids who kind of drop out of the professional academies who are released go there, spend a couple of years getting top-class coaching on the training field, but also classroom work and combining it with getting educational qualifications. And, and so many of them have already have climbed back into professional football or, or gone down a different route in terms of becoming coaches or physiotherapists and going to university and scholarships in the States. So... And um, you know, since last year, when when Stephen officially put his name to the college, um, you know, it's it's really raised the profile even further. And now, yeah, this link up with LLS or or give them the chance to expand not just across the UK but also globally with the, with the contacts that LLS has got. So um, yeah, I, you know, it's I think it's it's brilliant that you know Stephen Gerrard's got a lot on his plate. Of course, now back in preseason training with Rangers and. Um, you know, while Liverpool are trying to finish the job off in the Premier League, Premier League, you know, he's he's planning for next season with with Rangers and trying to 
halt that that Celtic domination of uh, the Scottish Premiership. But um, yeah, he his his emotional ties with this city uh, are still huge and um, very keen to give back through the through the work of that college. Let's go to the Red Agenda inbox and plenty flooding in today. Um, we'll start with this one from uh, from Michael Edwards. I don't think it's uh, the man himself. <laughs> and I, I don't even know if there's a proper um, answer to this one, but I'll pose it to you anyway. He says, assuming a percentage of fans are allowed back into Anfield from the start of next season, how will the club decide who? What's your actually thoughts on, on when it, you know, when it does, does it reopen en masse or does it reopen as a percentage, I know we're just we're playing a guessing game here, really, Si. Yes, uh, we are. It's a difficult one to answer at the moment because you know I know conversations are happening with, between the Premier League and the governments um, about how we get more football fan or any football fans in, inside grounds. You know the conversation sort of ranges from the lower league clubs, non-league clubs, up to the Premier League. I think it's a lot more straightforward in the lower league because, um, well, not straightforward, but it's, it's it potentially easier to solve because not you know not all grounds are filled up to capacity anyway, you know, on a, any given uh, weekend. So there is potentially room for social distancing, but then part of me thinks maybe the appetite to watch football may have increased, you know, because of the, the absence from it in some ways. And, you know, clubs will need the, the support of, of people coming through the turnstiles to pay, you know, to ensure that the clubs club survive. So a bit of a difficult one to gauge, really. But, you know, the view at the very start of the lockdown and the pandemic was obviously football was a safe environment to, uh, because, you know, it's, it's an outdoor sport and people even watching it is sort of outdoors, even, I know we've got big roofs over over stands. I think the big issue is sort of what happens, um, you know, uh, indoors. You know, you go to the main stand now at Anfield and, you know, there's vast amounts of space which is considered indoors and how the clubs will deal with that. So I, th- I think it's only at the early stages at the moment that there's, there's some ambition to get it to get fans, you know, back involved by at some point this year. Maybe that might be too ambitious, I'm not sure, but I don't think clubs are just going to sit there and wait wait to see how this maps out. I think clubs are very keen to try and make sure that, that fans get back in in a safe safe way because, uh, you know, the clubs need it. The clubs need the, the, the people to come and watch the matches and, and, and pay to, to get in because otherwise we're going to see, you know, situations in the lower leagues where, you know, clubs aren't able to survive if, if, if football does return. And, and equally clubs like Liverpool, you know, it's going to have an impact on on revenues and abilities to go and give players contracts extensions and potentially, um, you know, make signings. So, yeah, it's an ongoing process and hopefully over the next couple of weeks and months, it'll become a bit clearer, the picture. Uh, Colin Wright says, if we win the league before the Manchester City game, will there be a guard of honour which is socially distanced? James? Well, I don't see why there wouldn't be. I think... There was some stories during the rounds a couple of weeks ago that Pep Guardiola was wasn't against the idea, and I don't I don't know why why he would be. I think um, why he would be against it. I think um, yeah, you know, of course it will be slightly different than usual. But if if the job is done by then, then um, yeah, I'd 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 expect to see that, and I think that is that is the tradition. It's Liverpool. I'm, I remember Liverpool watching them down at Stamford Bridge. A few years back, and and them having to do the same for for Chelsea. You know, it's not probably not the most enjoyable thing for 
for, for footballers to do, especially if you're Manchester City and and you've seen your crown taken away from you um, in such emphatic fashion as, as as has happened this season. But um, but yeah, I would I would I don't see any reason why that tradition won't be maintained. Yeah, it should go ahead. Uh, Sai, do you think Klopp cares about beating the points record? This is from Joby. Uh, or has he just um, got his side playing um, at the moment with both eyes on next season? Yeah, I mean, he always he's at pains to strain that he, he's not bothered about that sort of thing. Um, you know, I've got, I've got to be very honest. I don't know how much that really does motivate him. He prefers it more for players to break their records rather than... Cause it, he wants players to feel a satisfaction of going and becoming a top scorer or becoming a player of the year rather than the team records in many ways because the team records reflect better on him than the team. If that makes sense, it's a bit of a contradiction in terms because he's so focused on the team, but the team records, naturally the focus lands on him, whereas he likes it when players you know, go and achieve the dreams, become the African player of the year or, or the, those sorts of records. So... I don't think it's on his mind at the moment. I think it's just just get get the title get the title wrapped up and then um, hopefully maybe you know go and finish the season in some style. Yeah, and in terms of getting the title wrapped up, you've written a piece on the Athletic at the moment where you've spoken to a few different people, got different narratives from uh, from different areas of the city. So the likes of Steve Rotherham, uh, singer Jamie Webster, or even the landlord of the famous Casa. Brilliant bar. Um, and it, it's a really nice read. I mean, what did you take from it at the end, Si? Well, uh, the whole idea was, you know, to try and uh, explain really what what Liverpool winning the title would mean to the city itself. Now, I know a couple of Evertonians have been a bit touchy about it, saying, well, we're in, you know, we're in the city. But I think if Everton were to win a trophy or, or win the league, it would mean a lot for the city again, you know, because of the the absence of, you know, time and, and, and the fact that both clubs, you know, Liverpool haven't won the, the league in such a long period of time and, and Everton haven't won any trophies since since 1995. I think, that, you know, if when those hoodoos are broken, it means a lot for the city. The city explodes and Liverpool feels alive. Now I realise, obviously, that's not the the case in this situation. You know, this this very unusual period in history in a pandemic. Um, but it still means something. It's, people will still feel a level of satisfaction, and it's all tied into the, I guess, the history of the city and why Liverpool as a city is such a, you know, so so wrapped and wrapped and involved in football. And I went to the Casa to speak to a guy called Tony Nelson, who was a dock worker, and he was explaining to me how just how the docks sort of influence the mindset on the terraces of Anfield, which then sort of explains to, to a large extent, you know, sort of the way the fans think and, and how politicised they beco- they've become and how that sometimes, that anger and frustration sometimes, you know, can help the team and maybe sometimes undermine the team as well. And then obviously spoke to Steve Rotherham, who's the Metro Mayor, and tried to get a feeling for where Liverpool stands as a city globally and how uh, how favourable, you know, Liverpool winning the title, how, how that would affect Liverpool in, in, in a good way because he was saying, you know, that Liverpool's reputation within the UK is is still pretty negative, really, for, for a lot of reasons, you know, going back to the 80s and even before, whereas globally, you know, Liverpool people think very positively about Liverpool. So 
again, that sort of explains this mindset that it's it's not necessarily, um, it, you know, it feels like it's a part of of Europe or, 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 you know, has more links with North America in some ways than it than it would do with some parts of uh, England and the rest of the UK. And I obviously spoke to Jamie Webster, who's a who's a musician who's trying to impose himself on the on the scene at the moment as a young Liverpoolian who has sort of gone grown up through this this periods of absence with the league and how that feels and and how the challenges of becoming you know an established musician when he's got so many links to Liverpool because he's obviously sort of sang a lot of song you know the LA 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 and on a lot of other songs and his, his his rise has been in keeping with Liverpool how do you become you know a successful musician in your own right when you're so ingrained with Liverpool Are people from other cities and you know people who support other clubs going to back you I mean it's going to be tough for him so yeah there's a, there's quite a lot to it really um so hopefully people read it and maybe maybe gain a bit bit more understanding of, of Liverpool's place on the on the map check it out it's on the athletic now we'll finish with this question on the red agenda rimbox it's uh it's from my pal joel who used to work at lfc tv he's working for a tv company out in the in the far east now <laughs> uh but he said uh, what chippy tea would you celebrate the title win with i'll start with this one i've got half chips half rice also with gravy and curry on top wow. james i was just salivating um do you know what? I'm I'm quite boring actually with my chippy oh. tea. It's 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 cod and chips. But what I do, I, I like to have the cod separate from the chips because you get more chips if you ask for it separately. Oh. Um, and but then I've got to have a side helping of curry sauce as well. That's a necessity. Look at him. He wants extra chips. Site. Yeah, I, I, I'm very impressed by James's strategy. <laughs> that's one that I've adopted as well. Um, yeah, I, I I would choose a Chinese banquet if that's okay because they they you can obviously get them from chippies, but yeah, Chinese <laughs> banquets from a from, yeah from Mike's in Crosby maybe. Oh no no, Fortune Capital in in a Waterloo. That's where I'd go. Well, Joel is out in the Far East. will be salivating because I'd imagine he's not got the chippies that we've got. So I hope that's answered his question. Uh, si, thank you very much, Steve. James, uh, all the best, pal. Cheers, Steve. We'll let the boys uh, go there. Thank you very much uh, for listening, and we'll see you with another Red Agenda very shortly.